So I hated life because the work that he's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All right, good morning everyone. We'll uh, come back to this in a second, but uh, who's excited to be at church this morning? Ready to hear the message, aren't you? When a Bible reading opens, so I hated life, like you, you know you're in the right place, right? And I know there's some of you out there that are like, finally, something that speaks to me from the Word. So um, here we go. We're going to jump into, again, the book of Ecclesiastes. If you are just joining us, uh, we're in week three of what I think is a really complex and raw and yet honest book about life and how we understand it. And at the beginning of this book, we're introduced to Solomon or this Solomon-esque figure referred to as the Koaleth or the teacher. This incredibly impressive figure who is wise, who is incredibly smart, but who's also a person of position and influence and real power, who has at his disposal incredible wealth and what's to do with it. And uh, we might add, he's also uh, quite a bit worldly in some of the things that he experiences and engages with. And he undertakes this project which should be very interesting to us. And that is that he sets his mind to examine life, life itself, life lived under the sun with a view to answer some of the deepest questions and yearning of the human heart. What does it all mean? What are we here for? What do our days under the sun mean? And if you haven't listened to the last two weeks, I do encourage you to jump on the website and catch up because Solomon has, or Solomon S., the teacher, the Koaleth, has already examined wisdom, wealth, and pleasure as means by which we can gain meaning or fulfillment or some sense of purpose in life. You know, that sense of maybe if we just learn enough stuff, gather enough wisdom, have enough knowledge, then maybe it'll all make sense. Or maybe if we just accumulate enough stuff, money and all the things that money can buy, maybe that will smooth our road through this life. Or maybe if we have enough experiences or or the right kind of experiences. If life is like a sponge, maybe we just need to squeeze out as much pleasure out of it. Maybe that's what it's all about. And if you've been reading along with us, you'll know that as he gives himself fully to these quests, 
he comes up empty. Wisdom, meaningless. This pursuit of wealth, it's meaningless. Giving ourselves all the pleasures that we could possibly hope to enjoy under the sun, it's habel, the Hebrew word meaningless. And so today in in chapter 2, and it's a theme that runs throughout the book, he turns his attention to activity. Well, maybe it's the stuff that we do, the stuff that we achieve, what we toil so hard for. Maybe it's work. Maybe that's the place where we'll finally be able to find meaning and purpose and be able to make sense of it all. Chances are you've already got to know the Koalath a little bit now, so what do you reckon he's going to say about work? This is meaningless. We already heard it. It's going to be a really encouraging day this morning, so hopefully you are glad about it. But I wanted to kind of illustrate this uh, a little bit, so I, I'm going to ask the hardest working person I know, Steve Bates, to come up here and give us a little demonstration. So we've got to make him, you know, yeah, come on. All right, so Steve, so this bucket down here and everything in it represents all that work promises us, all the stuff that we can find in it, things about our identity and our self-worth, there's some money, you know, there's, there's some financial incentive there as well, like all that kind of stuff, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, others will think well of you. Your work is simply to be able to get some of it for yourself and to keep it. So we're going to put you to work, uh, and at the end we're going to see, you can, you can, no, you can do it, ah, oh, you, you're not distracting me, you're ringing. Oh, they might distract you. Okay, well, uh, off you go. So why don't we, um, you put your hand to that as well. And so what we'll see, how's that going? That's okay. What you've got to do is you've got to work really hard over many years, and you'll have something to show for it, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that's the lie I was told uh, at university. Uh, you can go as hard as you want, my friend. The other reason I invited Steve up for this is because I know that he loves the carpet here more than anybody else. So it's going to... He's going to be wise with this illustration. But while Steve's doing that, I do want you, if you can, to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes um, chapter 2. Oh, he's got a promotion. He can use a bigger cup. Go for it, Steve. And just some of the observations that the Koalath makes about work and life. And the first one is that work is like chasing after the wind. I don't know if you've ever chased after wind or tried to lay hold of it. His point is it's, it's elusive. It's something that's, that's, that's out of grasp. So we can't kind of lay our hands on it. The very things that we're working towards, they escape us. You know, we're trying to find a sense of self-worth and and satisfaction in our job, and yet that that one critical voice or that one bad review, you know, undermines that for us. (laughs) Okay, to be fair, this is a little more distracting than I had anticipated. But that's all right. Work does take a lot of our time and our effort, doesn't it? You know, you finally manage to hit your KPIs and then the KPI moves. You're only as good as your last sermon as a preacher or whatever it is. Work can be in many ways like a chasing after the wind. And even financially, we often find that we work for year after year, decade after decade with very little to show for it. The second... Should it, sh- <laughs> bathrooms are to there, men's on the left, ladies on the, on the, on the right. The second observation uh, that he makes is that it lacks any permanence. Our work actually lacks any permanence. This is verse 18 to 19, that the person who comes after me will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. And you get it, don't you? The small business owner has to eventually give that over to somebody else. Even in the midst of work, not just at the end of our careers, even in the midst of work, you're a teacher, you invest, you pour into the life of a young child, and yet the most influential, and you kind of release them to all these other influential people in their lives that kind of undermine the very work for which you've been toiling so hard. You're a builder and you build the most beautiful home, and then you have to give it over to one of us homeowners who, 
well, I don't know, we kind of don't necessarily upkeep the place and maybe in time we want to add our own home improvements, you know what I mean? <laughs> there is that sense that it lacks any permanence. And finally, he just acknowledges that actually work is really costly. That we're going to spend years and years, some of the best parts of our day, some of the best parts of our life, the best parts of our energy and our skill pouring out into work. And so verse 23, he says rather depressingly, all their days, this is workers, work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. They're spinning, they're going, because you're thinking of all the things that you have to do, that you're processing, and all that kind of stuff. And so he ends with this quite confronting uh, rhetorical question. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? So Steve, um, how have you gone for all your toil and anxious striving in the last couple of minutes? You've got a little bit of water to show for yourself. That's not too bad. But in time, even that would have drained, wouldn't it? So that's a shame. Can we, can we give Steve a round of applause? Yeah. Isn't Hard worker and not a drop on the carpet. I like it. But he leaves us with this question. So what do people get? After, what, 40 years of full-time work? After how many decades of studying from kindergarten through to university in order to be able to work? What's the point? What do people get from it? This is meaningless, he says. And I love uh, Dwayne Garrett on this. He says, The brilliance of Ecclesiastes may be precisely that it is so upsetting. Ecclesiastes may be uniquely capable of upsetting us to the glory of God. I like that. So before we move on to the wisdom that this upsetting can provide, we need to just take stock of what Ecclesiastes is and its purpose. Right, Ecclesiastes is not in our Bibles to make us feel depressed. That's not the, the purpose behind the writer. It's not there so that we give up and we just think, oh, well, this is all a waste of time and we just kind of tap out of life mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We want to run away and hide up a mountain somewhere. Nor is it so that we just give in and be like, well, let's join that wide, easy, smooth road that leads to destruction and let's just jump into every pleasure that we can imagine and just suck the enjoyment out of life as much as we can. Now, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. That's its function. That's its purpose in our scriptures. The idea is it means as we engage in it, we are being equipped with godly, practical wisdom for how we are to live. Ecclesiastes may be uniquely capable of upsetting us to the glory of God, and this spills over into the ways that we live in wise, godly ways in light of it. The first bit of wisdom I think that we should glean is this, that we need to liberate work from unfair expectations. The Coalith is after the deep longings of the human heart, the deep questions that we all wrestle with. And he's saying very upfront, this is not going to be found in your work. And work here, by the way, is a really broad concept of work. It's toil, it's anything that you work towards, paid, unpaid, certainly would include career and vocation, but certainly would also include kind of interests or just family life that you have to pour yourself into as well. And his point is that the work is not designed to. It cannot and it will never fully satisfy at that deep level. It's not going to be something that you can find yourself worth in or this sense of making sense of the world. It's just not what it does. And it's not that work is inherently pointless or bad. It certainly contributes to a sense of self and self-worth and it gives purpose to our days, no doubt. But his point is that work itself cannot fully satisfy, so we shouldn't have unfair expectations of it. You see, uh, one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that work is natural, normal, and good. We see from the very opening pages of our scripture a God who is at work. 
in creative ways for six days and then resting on the seventh. This is not something he does under, under reluctance. This is something he engages in. Our God is a worker. And we would describe him even today, post-Christ, pre his return, that God continues to be at work sustaining all that is by his power and his might. That God would continue to be at work in our world and in our lives to redeem and to restore and to bring healing and beauty. And as those who are made in his image, he has created us and placed us in this world. And we read in the Genesis account and he's given us work to do. This is from God, this is of God, this is a responsibility given. And it has been affected and it's been marred by the fall. But what it was never meant to be was to replace our source, our true source of purpose, meaning, identity, joy, hope, peace and fulfillment, which is the God who gives us the work to do. I don't know about you, but um, I think we all know this person that in any situation, any social situation, any family gathering, even any Bible study, the only thing they can talk about is work. Is that fair? Do we know that person? Are you that person? <laughs> I've journeyed with lots of people um, over the years for whom their experience of life is tied to their experience of work. When work is going good, all of life is going well. When work is going bad, all of life is going bad. I've worked with people whose identity is so caught up in their work that any sense of disruption to their work or time apart from work for something like maternity leave or, or maybe stretching into retirement as well is the most confronting thing that they have to work through at an identity issue. And I think Ecclesiastes calls work out for what it is. And that is it has the potential to be a false idol for us. Something that we look to that only has false promises, false hope, and is devoid of any real power to respond to that deepest needs stuff that the Coleth is searching for, trying to make sense of life under the sun. This too is meaningless, says the Coleth, and we would be wise to learn from him and to put that into practice. We need to liberate work from our unfair expectations of it. I love the biblical scholar Kidna on Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, in themselves and rightly used, the basic things of life are sweet and good. Food, drink, and work are some of them. And the Coleth will remind us of others, such as family in chapter 9 and youth in chapter 11. What spoils them is our hunger to get out of them more than they can give, a symptom of the longing which differentiates us from the beasts, but whose misdirection is the underlying theme of his book. Liberate work from unfair expectations. Maybe we are looking to work to satisfy longings that are only truly satisfied when we look to God. But in that, and now we switch into hopefully some good news. And the second thing I think we glean from Ecclesiastes is to actually find satisfaction in working. This is his preliminary conclusion uh, already at the end of chapter 2, verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, I see, is actually from the hand of God. And for without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? And this is the first of seven such statements that the Coalith will spill throughout the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, where he'll recommend the wholehearted pursuit of enjoyment in the midst of life, even as he declares it meaningless. There is real satisfaction and real enjoyment to be found in working, would you agree? Hopefully you experience that. Hopefully you are currently experiencing that in whatever it is that you are toiling and working towards on a, as a, on a personal level, as a family level, the work or career vocation level as well. But I'm Australian, I'm assuming most of us have some sort of residency uh, here, and we've kind of made a national sport of complaining about work. Has uh, anyone... No? No? A couple of people? A couple of people? You're positive? Come to church? 
I think we've made a national sport of complaining about work. If you want to disagree with me over morning tea, feel free to do so. But I don't think Australians have the market cornered on pessimism and work. I think it's an international sport. I think we are very used to, as people, complaining about work and what work involves. And so if you really want to know what people think, you don't ask them a question from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, obviously. Uh, you go to the internet where your thoughts are unfiltered. So... <laughs> I searched your Facebook accounts and your Twitter account. No, I didn't. I just went, I just went, to, uh, I went to the ultimate source of authority, Google Memes. Okay, so uh, we're going to enjoy a few Google Memes here. Hopefully this doesn't offend too many people. But um, yeah, first on there, I'm not sure if I hate my job or just hate working. Has anyone ever been in that place? Have you felt that, that face you make when you're about to leave work and the boss says, ah, oh, before you go, anyone, anyone been there? Anyone been that boss? Not entirely sure there. Like this one? Oh, you have a 40-hour week. <laughs> I remember my first part-time job. I think many of us can probably relate to that one. And then, uh, oh, mate, there you go, Stallone. When your boss asks how you're doing halfway through your shift, anyone uh, shift workers here? Yeah, yeah, it can be hard, can be hard can't it? This, will probably, this segment will probably go better over tonight. But anyways, oh, when you haven't even gone to sleep yet and you already can't wait to come home from work tomorrow, so yeah, yeah, you feel that on Sunday nights sometimes, yeah. Uh, when your coworker asks a question that makes the meeting go for 25 more minutes, Oh, I tell you what, I actually saw a t-shirt for sale and I almost bought it that said, I survived another meeting that should have been an email. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and finally, uh, a quote from, from the late uh, George Carlin. Oh, you hate your job. Why didn't you say so? There's a support group for that. It's called Everybody. And they meet at the bar after work. Uh, obviously a source of, of humour, the internet, but the stats actually back it up as well. Only last year there was an Australian study done where it was actually, I thought it was really encouraging that two-thirds of Australians actually valued happiness ahead of their pay. But as they continued to ask questions of Australian workers, what we actually found was that even though Australians say that they value happiness instead of pay, those same people were in jobs that that were making them unhappy. And when asked why, it was 69% of them was, was financial worries. I can't get out of this job because I need the money from the job. 48% specifically mentioned their mortgage is the reason that they were trapped in a job that didn't bring them any joy. 44%, which I think is quite a lot, nearly half of them were like, well, I don't know what else I'll do, so I'm, I'm stuck in this job that I don't enjoy. The state of the global workplace, this was a Gallup report done a couple of years ago that looked at a, a number of countries, including Australia. Uh, on their Australia section, their research suggested that only 14% of employees in Australia are actively engaged and satisfied in their jobs. Only 14%. 71% were at some level of not engaged, and 15% were actively disengaged. They had, they had no buy-in to what they were actually doing and the company that they were working for and were tapping out uh, even as they worked. You think about that for a second. If that's actually accurate, it means that in a church of our size, say 600 people, that over 500 of us, to varying levels, are disengaged and dissatisfied with our work. That's an epidemic. So let's read verse 24 again, shall we? A person can do nothing better and to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This is from the hand of God, for without him who can find enjoyment. Biblical scholar are on this writes, Solomon is not advocating eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of fatalism, not faith. Rather he is saying, thank God for what you do have and enjoy it to the glory of God. This is some of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. I think it's very pertinent for us in Australia in 2019. That actually enjoyment in our work is a gift from God. And notice that it comes from Him. 
It doesn't come from having the right employer. It doesn't come from having the right employees or the right team around you. It doesn't come from having a great career path ahead of you or a short commute. It doesn't come from having a good paycheck or really great work benefits. It comes from God. It is the gift of God, which means it's to be received by faith and then taken hold of and lived out in the midst of our work. You know, I've seen this uh, in my life as well. I've, I've kind of worked really hard in jobs that I didn't think were particularly meaningful and at times found that really rewarding and enjoyed that and at times found that really disheartening and discouraging and struggled to find joy uh, in those jobs. Uh, there are other jobs I've worked that I think are incredibly meaningful. It's purposeful work for me, and there's an alignment of character and gifting and all of that kind of stuff. And there have been seasons in those jobs where I've found it really hard. I found it elusive to, to find enjoyment and to find joy. And there are times where I've found it really easy and natural to enjoy it and to thank God for it. It's not always our circumstances, is it, that's the problem. I think there's some real wisdom here that we look to God and to receive Uh, the ability to work and even the work itself as a gift from him and then receive from him the ability to enjoy and find joy in it. Does that make sense? For some of us, I think we probably need to sit with that and journey that with uh, small groups and DNA and and talk that out. But I think there's there's a really important point here to actually about finding enjoyment in the midst of our work. And then lastly, we do need to glean from Ecclesiastes wisdom that I think is there in Ecclesiastes, but is certainly much more layered up as we consider the broader context of Scripture. And that is working in light of eternity. The phrase that the teacher uses in Ecclesiastes is work under the sun. And so there's this idea that the sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, this kind of revolving life that kind of just goes and goes and goes and goes, and everything under that is kind of what he's looking at. And I think even in there, there is an implicit invitation for us to broaden our horizons and to think bigger, to think beyond merely that humanistic approach to life and to living, and in this case, to working. And in this passage, he actually draws our attention to a God who exists, who has given us work, who can give us enjoyment. And his great conclusion at the end of the book, which I won't steal for in a couple of weeks' time, but, but there's a really strong kind of wisdom that's given to us that we need to be living in light of God, in relationship with him, in fear of him, in trust and in love with him. And then obviously we read this through the lens of Jesus and as new covenant people. And so as a follower of Jesus, partly my work is a stewarding of all of life. I'm stewarding what I do, why I do it, and how I do it for the glory of God. So working becomes actually part of my discipleship, therefore filling it with incredible meaning and incredible purpose. Like at that place, God is at work in me and through me as his follower. To actually see ourselves in those work environments, whether it's paid or unpaid, that they are actually our sent places. That in those team environments or work environments or whatever it is, that we are God's person. That we've been placed there by him to be a person of kingdom influence, living out the values of his kingdom in a visible way that actually affects how we do our job, maybe what we do for a job, and the impact and influence that has on those around us, those who we work with. Does that make sense? I think for us, some of us, that is, just, that, that is a light switch moment when we actually understand that our workplaces are our missional spaces and therefore are one of the most valuable and important and significant spaces that we inhabit. And does, is that place filled with meaning and purpose? Absolutely. And we want to give ourselves completely to what God would be doing at work through us in those places.
I think we do need to wrestle with questions of calling and vocation as well. I think for some of us, we find ourselves in career paths because, well, that's what my dad did, or, well, I got the marks, and so that's the, the degree that everyone in my school went and did if we got the marks, and that was... That was 18-year-old Travis. I went and studied, the, studied law because if you got, you're in my school and you got the marks, that's what you did. So there is that sense of actually needing to wrestle with, but what is some of my purpose? What is some of my broader calling and vocation? And that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to align with paid work, our career path, but actually understanding why God has us here and for the purpose, I think, is really important. And if you want to wrestle with that, I really encourage you to have a chat with any godly person in the room, but uh, pastoral team, we, we love having those chats with people as well, helping you discover what it is that God has gifted you to do and be in this life. And then lastly, just a very simple reminder to always keep first things first. We're called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then those other things will be added to us as well. The danger of work is that it becomes this thing that we chase, this idol that sits on the throne of our affection, of our priorities, certainly our time and our attention and our energy. But as a Christ follower, as someone who orients my entire life around the fact that there is a loving God who created me and who's called me to be his own, I want to live for him in all things. And so if I'm in a secular job, working full-time in the career, I'm not in it for the money, I'm not in it to build my little kingdom, I'm not in it for my own fame and fortune. I'm in it for the glory and fame and the name and the sake of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, and he just says, So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in him is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not vanity. It's not habel. It is meaningful. It is purposeful. It is significant. It will echo in all eternity. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What he is at work doing in you and through you. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I really want to thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. God, I want to thank you for the way that it confronts us. Sometimes the way it feels like it depresses us. But I want to thank you for Ecclesiastes and its raw and its beautiful and its complex look at the very real issues of life, the stuff that we all engage with and we all have to wrestle with. God, I want to thank you because in it is wisdom, wisdom for living. I pray this morning that, that we would each hear from you what that wisdom is and how we apply it to the things that we're working on or working towards in our own life. God, we want to pray that we don't look to work with unrealistic expectations, things that are only found in you. God, I would ask a blessing upon every person here that you would be able to empower us to enjoy our working, just that everyday burdensome of working in life under the sun, God, that we'd actually find real joy and enjoyment in it. But above all else, God, we want to be your children. We want to be your disciples. We want to be devoted followers of you. So Lord, I ask for the Spirit of God that lives within each of us to empower us uh, to see that everything is done in word or deed. It needs to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving glory to you through him. So Father, I pray that we would live for your glory in every sphere of our life, 
our home lives, in our family lives, in our work lives. God, would you use us in the places or the workplaces or the organizations or the businesses or the, or the interest groups that you have placed us in to be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, people who are living out and being an influence of kingdom values. And I pray in all of this, God, that you'll continue to guide us and empower us, uh, that we would live well as your children. For your glory and for the world, we pray. Amen.